and welcome everyone. Welcome to Diverse Conversations with Ashka Patel. And today I'm actually humbled and honored to have none other than Dr. Sandra Leal participating in this podcast. Dr. Sandra Leal, welcome to the show. Thank you for the invitation to join you today. Thank you. And just before we start the conversation, I would like to let our viewers know a little bit about you and I'll just do a quick um, intro. So Dr. Leal is actually the um, 166th president of the American Pharmacists Association. Um, she has received her PharmD and her master's in public health, uh, followed by residency and a primary health care policy fellowship. Um, she has presented her work in numerous national and international publications and venues, and she's recognized with various many awards for her extensive work in advocacy as well as patient care, including the Good Government Pharmacist of the Year by the American Pharmacists Association for her advocacy work um, on pharmacist provider status. Along with, she's a two-time recipient of the Pinnacle Award for the uh, from the American Pharmacists Association Foundation for her progressive practice innovations, as well as the American Society of Hospital Pharmacists Best Practice Award for her leading practice in diabetes management. Uh, Dr. Leal is a passionate advocate um, to eliminate barriers to care and to improve access and outcomes for patients, as well as she has led efforts on both local and national level to integrate pharmacy, public health, and advocacy to improve the healthcare system and reduce health inequity. With that extensive experience, Dr. Leal, I am just, uh, I'm going to say that I I'm super excited for the conversation we're going to have today because your perspectives on the various many topics that we're going to explore are going to be incredible and very valuable. I am looking forward to our conversation. Awesome. Well, before, without any delay, I would like to start off our conversation by just, um, you know, what are some of the highlights or achievements from the pandemic that have enforced the importance of pharmacists and pharmacy technicians within the healthcare system? Well, I mean, I'm just so excited about the work that the pharmacists have been doing and really helping to, you know, mitigate and overcome this pandemic. There's just been some really needed flexibilities that we should have probably had before the pandemic, but definitely the pandemic have propelled, you know, some of the policy changes that we needed to see now much more uh, quickly. So for example, being able to vaccinate children between the age of three uh, and 17 uh, is amazing. And across the United States, we had wins, right? We had wins at different states, uh, but it was inconsistent. There were different changes. It was sort of hard to keep up uh, what you could do in West state. And now we have more of a, of a standard uh, federal ask of, of us to step in to do that. And we also saw gains with pharmacy students and pharmacy technicians now being able to do that also because we have such a huge amount of work still ahead of us um, to vaccinate people for COVID. But we all know that flu is right around the corner and then all of the maintenance medication or not medication, but vaccines that we need to catch up on, we still have that work to do. So uh, a lot of the work we're doing now with APHA is advocating to keep these flexibilities post-pandemic so it just doesn't end as soon as the emergency ends. Uh, for sure. And I think, um, and that was actually one of the purpose of, you know, having this podcast um, created to begin with was to really, you know, talk to industry experts and leaders who really have a pulse on the situation. Because uh, we definitely, you know, I think the gains have been significant, but we do not want to lose those. Um, because, you know, we have shown the importance and I, the, 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 you know, the achievements you highlighted actually just prove just that in terms of how valuable that accessibility to having a a professional who's able to take care of your health needs is so important. So with that in mind, um, in the post-pandemic world, what changes do you see um, taking place within the pharmacist scope of practice? And like, you know, how do you envision that happening? 
Well, definitely a lot of the gains during the pandemic, the testing, for example, I think that's great. A lot of pharmacies um, applied for CLIA certification because of, you know, being able to do the, the COVID testing. So I definitely think a lot of that's going to be remaining and it's going to be retained. And we can then increase the clinical services that we offer with point of care as an example. Uh, so, you know, testing for chronic conditions like cholesterol, A1Cs, uh, even like flu and strep, things that some pharmacies were doing, but to do it on a more consistent level and to let patients know that these are places now that you could come in for care and they create access, that's incredible. Mm -hmm. I think of pharmacists as a public health infrastructure. I've loved marrying my pharmacy and my public health degree uh, because we know pharmacists are trusted. We know they're in communities. Uh, we know that 95% of Americans are within five miles of a pharmacy here in the United States. So we want to make sure that we continue that access, but we also want to increase it with things like telehealth, right? We want pharmacists to also be able to reach people regardless of geography. We want to reach people uh, because maybe we have somebody who speaks a certain language and we need to bring in a pharmacist that can connect in that culture and in that language through technology solutions also. So that's the kind of uh, future I see for pharmacy. And that's what we you know, continue to advocate for every day with APHA. Oh, that's fantastic. And I think this is kind of, uh, it, it's great. I think one of the wins that I also see in the pandemic is the whole uh, possibility of providing virtual care um, to, uh, by pharmacists and pharmacy professionals, which was kind of non-existent, at least here in Canada. Uh, it was unheard of until the pandemic had started. So uh, how do you envision the role of telehealth um, and you know providing that virtual pharmaceutical care in the next five years? Um, is this something that we're expecting to boom or is it going to be something that's going to be a one-time wonder? Oh, no, I think, you know, so it's interesting, the company I worked with before, um, they had started using telehealth in 2006. And there had been resistance, right? People were like, oh, well, we don't know, it doesn't, it's not the same as face to face. And, and true, it's not the same as face to face, but it can actually enhance face to face, because you can have touch points in between visits. We know that in this situation where we had a significant issue with, you know, proximity being close, uh, potentially getting infected with COVID, it provided access that was phenomenal. And much, much needed. And I think it really exposed people to the value of telehealth and not to be maybe resistant to it, but to embrace it and think about ways to continue to use it. So I don't think we're ever going to go back to pre-pandemic um, levels. Uh, I don't think we're going to be at the peak that we were immediately, right? It's still going to take some time to build up again because we're starting to sort of see some of it come back. But I do see more hybrid opportunities more utilization of things like remote monitoring and um, again, leveraging technology to bring in support that you might not have locally. And let me give you an example. We had started a diabetes prevention program that was available through telehealth. And this wasn't done because of the pandemic. It was before, but because of the pandemic, it was such a great way to get people to be screened for prediabetes. And we know that it's essentially a fairly new service here in the United States that it wasn't available in, in certain areas because they hadn't stood up a program yet. Uh, we created a Spanish program because Spanish was not a common one that was offered. So we, you can see how through telehealth, um, even telephone, but through video, through remote monitoring, through, through apps, through chat, these are all new ways that we should think about reaching patients and then continuing to uh, see how we can enhance the level of care that we provide. 
For sure, for sure. And I agree with you, um, especially when it comes to, um, I think both what the pandemic has done is reinforced, um, you know, the ability for patients to choose how they wish to receive their care. Um, now it has, you know, provided them with various options instead of just having that traditional in-person visit. Um, and I think we, we definitely need to tap into that. Um, and obviously mind, being mindful of reimbursement because that is always a, 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 a kind of a, you know, weight changer in terms of how we navigate those waters and how we introduce new services. Uh, with reimbursement in mind, you know, uh, the, this was a, one of the questions was, you know, what are some challenges or barriers that exist at present for our pharmacists as well as pharmacy technicians to practice this fullest potential? And, you know, how can we how can we address those? So one of the challenges, as, as we've talked about many, many, many times over, is pharmacists are not one of the eligible providers here in the United States under Medicare, Medicare Part B. And that is uh, restricting us in the telehealth models to be able to do some of the sustainable you know, reimbursement that we need to keep these programs going. So that's part of the advocacy piece of trying to get um, us to be included in that. And we actually have uh, a couple of bills in Congress right now in the House and Senate to have pharmacists be able to uh, be recognized in medically underserved areas to start, you know, get our foot in the door. Uh, that's not where we want to stop. Obviously, we want to make sure that we show the value uh, in these very challenged uh, areas and then see and make, make sure that that continues to grow. So we advocate constantly. Now, just because we're not recognized doesn't mean there isn't value. We know that there's a lot of value-based contracts out there. And when the pharmacist is part of the team, patients have better outcomes. Mm -hmm. And so we are still making the case for pharmacists to be included uh, on the team because of the impact that we're having on value, on the metrics that we measure in order to get reimbursement uh, on things that we call like STARS and HEDIS and Part C and Part D measures. All of these things are, are things that pharmacists can make a significant impact in and that actually drive the justification for our services. Uh, so we're tackling it in numerous ways at a state level and then definitely on a federal level. And then even here with all the different types of payers that we have, commercial, Medicaid, Medicare, right. because we know pharmacists bring, bring a lot of value to those programs. For sure, for sure. And that, you raised a very good point with the whole pharmacist provider status. Um, and just for my own understanding, so currently are pharmacists in the U.S. able to bill for professional services? If they're practicing in a pharmacy, like would they be billing it to the pharmacy or would it be the pharmacist? Um, because I understand like the pharmacists do not have a provider status. So would it be the pharmacy receiving the, the funds and then distributed? In a retail setting, a lot of the reimbursement for pharmacists come through the dispensing model. So they, um, they fill a prescription and then there's reimbursement associated with the prescription and the service of billing. Um, what, what we want to do is make sure that services that pharmacists are doing that are uh, outside of filling. Like, for example, I did not work in a pharmacy for many years, but I provided care in a clinic seeing patients with diabetes. So we were using, uh, trying to use at least the E&M the, the e codes that the physicians use. We unfortunately wouldn't get recognized for using those clinical mm -hmm. codes. So a lot of times uh, we were getting reimbursed through different ways, like for example, incident two billing. So it was built under the physician, but it was for the services that we were providing Got as it. an example. Okay. Uh, but sometimes that's actually, it's not being reimbursed at the level of the care we're actually providing. Right. So there's discrepancy. So we might get a little bit of funding, but we're not getting the full parity of funding that we need for the services that we're providing. And so that that's creating a challenge because we know pharmacists are performing at a much higher level than we're actually getting recognized for. 
For sure, for sure. And I think uh, we can have, we can draw some parallels here to the Canadian landscape around the same, same challenges as well, where, you know, the, I guess we are maybe a step further in that we do get some funding for, for professional services that are provided by pharmacists, but that funding goes directly to the pharmacy itself rather than the individual who's actually providing that service. And those are always interesting conversations. Um, and talking of interesting conversations, you know, what are, uh, because primarily your work is in advocacy and like, you know, with uh, being, you being the president of the American Pharmacists Association, what are some challenges or difficulties you face when you're advocating for a profession with lawmakers and politicians? Well, I think truly one of the things that's always surprising to me is um, the very narrow impression that sometimes the general public, but then definitely lawmakers have about the role of pharmacists and what we can provide. And they really pigeonhole us in just medications, right? When we know that pharmacists are doing disease state management, we're doing education, we're doing so many more things than dispensing. That is a big focus of ours. We want to make sure people have the best outcomes, but that also includes deprescribing. It doesn't mean we want to start another med just because we can, right? Exactly. Uh, but it's actually looking at the best use of medications, looking at the context of the patient, the disease state, things like affordability, um, looking at whether or not the person would, would um, you know, even understand it from like a health literacy perspective. So we bring a lot more to the table than people think we do. And that's a constant challenge, a constant education. And I think when they think they hear the word pharmacy, immediately they fall back to what they think yes. a pharmacist does. And that by itself already creates that barrier um, to get us to be able to practice. So one of the things we're seeing, even with this uh, pandemic, we, we have received flexibilities, um, but a lot of the flexibilities we, we receive, they keep saying, well, you have to do this education, this CE, this, that, to get the permission to do it. I'm like, we actually got trained to do that. We don't need to do another CE to prove we can do it. We will do it because we'll have to, but we shouldn't think about it like that all the time. They should actually respect the training we have and then let us do what we're trained to do. For sure. I, I agree 100% with you. And, and you brought some really interesting points of which I think, um, you know, and, and this is like, this is a learning opportunity for me because, you know, as a, as a frontline pharmacist, when I'm on the ground to really understand advocacy, I feel like there's layers that you need to peel in to understand. And like, you know, that's what I'm hoping to, um, you know, also help other pharmacists who are in a similar boat as I am in terms of understanding advocacy, just to get an appreciation um, for the work that takes place behind the closed doors. Because, you know, oftentimes we sometimes not recognize the hard work and the years of sometimes planning and, you know, just having conversations um, leads to one outcome that we see in our practice. And um, speaking of advocacy, I did want to also ask a, another question, which was, you know, how can Canada and the U.S. collaborate together um, for advocacy efforts? Because we face a similar challenge, you know, where, and I think this is a global challenge where, you know, pharmacists are perceived as just the medication dispensers and just medication experts, but nothing more than that. So how do you, um, you know, is there a benef benefit to such a collaboration? Absolutely. There's a lot of things that we can collaborate on um, with Canada, United States, internationally, right? Yes. Uh, we actually had, it not that long ago, a, a collaboration where I sat on a panel with the Phar Canadian Pharmacists Association, the Ontario Pharmacists Association, and we were collaborating and talking about um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, racism, all of these things that we know impact our patients. And these things happen worldwide. So they're not, you know, just in the United States or just in Canada. So if there are best practices that we can learn from each other and share, that's what we want to do, right? We are ultimately a global profession and we should help each other and raise our practice across the world. It goes to things like vaccinations, like what are we doing here that's very advanced that we can then share with other countries so that they can also do things that are very public health oriented. And we know there are no borders for viruses. 
there are no borders for these, you know, things that we're all going to have to deal with together. What would be better is for us to come up collectively with a solution that helps worldwide because we're all going to ultimately be impacted unless we collaborate. For sure. And what better way than this pandemic to prove just that, right? Where we know that the entire world is on all, all we are all in this together and we're all trying to find a way out of it. Um, I agree 100%. And I think with that, um, I guess one of the other um, last points that I wanted to touch on before we wrap this conversation up was around innovation and, you know, how do we support innovation within pharmacy? Because I think this pandemic has really brought light to a lot of different unique practices that are emerging and budding. But how do we support innovation so that, you know, in the future, it continues to grow rather than it being stagnation um, after the pandemic is cleared over. Yeah, I mean, I think innovation is very key. There's different ways to innovate. Sometimes you, you know, improve on a product. Sometimes you start something new altogether. You know, when I think about innovation, I also think a lot about technology. And I also want to bring the pharmacist to the forefront of like product development and being right there as things are getting done. I'm talking to a lot of pharmacy students right now who maybe didn't match for residency or don't know what secondary degree to get. Like I got an MPH, what should I do? Mm -hmm. uh, I talked to them about like health IT, you know, imagine if you had any background in software development or um, in being able to influence a product because you know the workflow, you know what people need, and then you can help to design and develop things like that. So it can also be innovation in how care is delivered. Um, I mentioned DPP, diabetes prevention. We designed a program that was done through telehealth because a model that existed before were only face-to-face, -face, 26 classes in person. I'm like, that's incredibly challenging if you think about it from a equity perspective. Like, what if patients don't have a card, don't have transportation, you know, can't go to 26 classes because they have a competing priorities. It, innovating the way that we deliver care is a type of innovation. So I just always look and, and see what gaps are out there and then you can innovate to overcome what those gaps are. And to me, that can happen in many shapes and in many ways and many forms. And there's never, uh, never, I think there's never enough manpower resources to address all the care gaps that are out there. For sure, for sure. And speaking of students and, um, you know, one advice, because uh, you work very closely with students as well, and I think it's important for students to realize that there's no just one pathway that is a successful pathway in pharmacy. What would be the one advice to give to current students um, and graduates who are about to enter a profession? Well, definitely the, the, you know, it really is incredible, the opportunities that pharmacy offers. And one of the things that I always strive for when I was in school was never to do the same thing over and over again, but to get variety in my practice and my day and the interactions that I had. And that's really how I, I think I've actually helped to design my own, uh, my own work. You know, I love to teach. I love to mentor. I love to see patients. I love policy advocacy. So I always encourage students to, to stay active with a professional uh, associations. I'm not just APHA, but I'm talking about anything, right? Like I'm very involved with groups that are not pharmacists, with National Center for Farm Worker Health, for example, with the American Diabetes Association. And then I bring expertise as a pharmacist to those groups that haven't been exposed to pharmacy. So immediately I bring an expertise that is needed and that they would benefit from. Uh, and I think that's what we need to do, get more outside of our own profession and more outside of talking to each other and tell others what we do, what we bring to the table, uh, and we can actually make a bigger impact that way. Again, the pandemic and the work pharmacists have been doing with public health departments, with educating the public, with, you know, you think about all of the areas that we've been able to approach with, with, uh, with a pandemic. That's the kind of messaging that we want people to see so they can see pharmacists in the roles uh, about, you know, that, that really relate to how we're trained now. 
That's true. That's true. Well, I'm sure I'm certain that the pharmacy students would appreciate that. And I think this advice kind of applies to even, you know, our, our regular um, professionals who are already out in the field and, you know, doing their day to day work. Um, I think just being open to opportunities and just exploring new avenues um, never hurts. And it all, if anything, it helps us advocate for a profession uh, where we're going. Um, and I guess one advice for advocacy associations, because we did speak to that um, uh, quite extensively, is, you know, how do, how do how will, can they prepare uh, for the rather dynamic and fluid future of our profession with this pandemic and post-pandemic? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like I said earlier, stay involved. Stay involved with your local. Like here in Arizona, we have state associations. Mm -hmm. uh, we have the, you know, the federal association, APHA. There's a lot of what we call like section interest groups. So these are groups um, of either like practices that are the same or, you know, or maybe uh, advocacy issues or things that people want to pursue like one of the examples that I love, a couple of the groups are care for the underserved and the, the population health, uh, public health group. Right. So you start getting into those groups, you start networking with people that want to collaborate and do projects that are probably of interest to you. And so that helps to feed and to like connect you um, so that you don't feel isolated and frustrated and burnt out because it's easy, uh, especially with all the things uh, on your plate to get burnt out. So by having these outlets and, uh, and finding a, a like-minded community of people that can help support you, your experience is gonna be so much better um, than feeling like you're alone. And so that's one thing I always tell people, it is worth the investment. It's a worth the investment for you. It, it brings you, you know, continuing education. It brings you opportunities for leadership, even traveling to a conference once in a while to go and meet people and talk about what they're doing that opens up a totally different dynamic rather than you staying at home and, and being frustrated. I agree 100%, especially in that travel piece, because I think we're all itching and dying for that whole opportunity to just have an open world where we can travel wherever we want to, right? Uh, but I agree, and, and I think, um, and this kind of is just a follow-up question is, um, are the associations in the U.S. open to Canadian um, pharmacists and pharmacy professionals? And like, I'm, I'm sure you can't speak to all of them, but like, let's say American Pharmacists Association, um, can Canadian pharmacists join? Yes, absolutely. And we've actually collaborated on, on many things. Like I know uh, recently we collaborated with a group out in Saudi Arabia because they were doing some immunization training. We've done some work on medication therapy management. Uh, we've done programming. In fact, because of the pandemic, we even opened up you know webinars so people can attend them from any part of the world. I've actually been the moderator this year for uh, APHA. Every two weeks or so, we have a, a CE program on the latest breaking information related to the vaccines, to testing, to any changes, and that we've had participation uh, from many people, not just the United States, but worldwide. And that's, you know, that's open to members and non-members, depending on how it's uh, structured, if it's a CE or not. Got it. Well, thank you so much for that and from important information because I think that is going to be valuable. And, I mean, I I think I was an American Pharmacist Association member at one point. Don't know what happened to it, but I'll definitely be looking back and you know making sure if I'm not, then I'll sign up for that for sure. And with that, I would like to wrap up this conversation, Dr. Leal, because it has been an honor and absolute pleasure to have this conversation with you. Um, you know, I am just very inspired to see a woman in pharmacy, you know, kind of leading a national association. Um, you know, we don't get to see that often and it's good to see that you know we have a leader that we can inspire and aspire to be and so thank you for all the important work that you do and um you know we we hope to have you in the future for um, some other sessions um, because I, i'm sure we can benefit from your expertise at any time well it would be my pleasure to come and speak to you again and uh, i am you know i feel so uh lucky to be in the role that i'm in especially during this time where we're highlighting the role of pharmacists so 
I am very uh, grateful to have had the opportunity to be a pharmacist during the pandemic and highlight the incredible work that we're doing. So it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much.